When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. So we are going to be talking about the 1999 movie, 10 Things I Hate About You, that I think we all love. (laughs) I don't think anyone on this panel hates this movie. If you do, I don't know why you're here, but hey, maybe you're here to just (laughs) talk about how how much it sucks, but no. Um, So this this should be fun. This is kicking off a mini, mini three-part celebration of romantic comedies. It was going to be four parts, but it's not because of our Oscars (laughs) conversation. So only three parts. So you're going to get this, While You Were Sleeping, and When Harry Met Sally. Before I have everyone tell me what they're into, just a quick reminder, of course, that we are on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us do these live streams when they go correctly. And even when they don't go correctly, (laughs) you can help us bring you great content you've come to love, hopefully come to love, lots of other things. And um, last Friday, we recorded our three-hour American Horror Story recording for seasons one and two. Susie was on there. Susie is going to be on this American Horror Story journey that we are so excited to be going on. We're doing brackets. <laughs> Susie's face. <laughs> yeah, we have to watch seasons three and four next. That's okay. We get to watch Dandy Mott, Mott throw about a bazillion tantrums. <laughs> Susie's part of my Finn tribe, so I can say this stuff with Susie. <laughs> so, Meg, what are you into this week? I am very much into Upload Season 2 that came out on Amazon Prime today and I absolutely watched the entire season today because I'm a very cool person. Um, but it was it's so good. I, I love this show so much and I'm really, really happy we have a second season and I'm really excited to see what happens next. So Awesome. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch it, but hopefully next year. soon. Next year, yes. I loved season one so much. So, yeah, yeah. With the good Amel. Hello, baby Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paula, who just got back from vacation, she won $2 in Vegas. I did. <laughs> hey, a win is a win. Yes. She came home on top. I did. <laughs> 
she was at, I hope it's okay. I'm telling in the oh, world. Yeah. Because you, you, you were at the Supernatural I was at the Supernatural convention. convention. So that's pretty much what I'm into because I've been gone all week. <laughs> so, so we've been listening to a lot of the music from the cast members and, you know, just having a, because we, we, we road tripped it. So, oh. yeah, so lots of fun. So that's pretty much what I've been into is just convention and music and that kind of fun stuff. And I really need to watch Upload, by the way, because that so looks so good when I heard about it and then I completely so forgot. Good. It's so good. cute. It's, it's such so a quick good. watch, too. It's yeah. like. It's on it. my list. It's on my list it's for really next. What, next. <laughs> Log off. Right now. Sorry, Erin. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, your beautiful so, hair. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I love your purple hair so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. Listen, I don't have like money for therapy, but I do have money for hair dye. So ah. <laughs> I'm okay. So the universe and its mother has been like pushing me to watch Euphoria. Like I keep getting ads for it. I keep getting videos for it. I keep getting like recommended to me. And so I just started watching Community. <laughs> I love you. Because <laughs> I was like, eh, no. So it's I'm on season three voice. of Community now, and it's fine. It's a show. Yeah, I have like, to watch I'll, that one I'll, soon. I'll collect my thoughts, and then maybe I'll like say something when I'm finished through it. But it's it's it's, it's a watch. Yeah, we're talking about that one in May, and we're talking about Euphoria in September, I want to say, or August. Yep. So... Yeah, I just love that, that you were, I was like, okay, she's going to say she's into euphoria, and then, she, and then you said, so I watched Community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes of Euphoria, and I just, I have a so teenage depressing. daughter, and I'm just like, I can't watch this. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of tragedy and glitter, like, I'll be honest. It, it just looks like it the is. overall vibe that I get, and I'm just like, oof, I'm not, mm. Like, I don't want to imagine that this is my child, so I'm just going to live in denial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> live in denial. It's she still plays with dolls. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Hey. She does not. I just, in my mind. Oh, I was just saying, Hey, I have what? a Michael Myers doll my sister gave me for Halloween. I have so much Michael Myers stuff. I oh, have to hang these shelves. Stand. So what I'm into is the new Hulu show called The Dropout with Amanda Seyfried. And it's about, um, you know, what's her name now? I can't remember. See, I told you, I th- my brain is so the, the blood chick, right? Yes, the blood chick. <laughs> Anna, is it Anna something or no? What the hell? No, isn't that a different show? Thera, like inventing That's Anna's a on show. Netflix, but like Thera, yeah. some stupid It's, it's Thera, it's uh, Ther- Ther- Theranos. Theranos. Which was the blood thing where you take one Elizabeth Holmes, where you take one drop of blood, you drop it in there, it tests you for everything. And it's really interesting. I mean, I think it probably did not need to be a series. It probably could have just been a movie. But Amanda Seyfried, I, she is such a fabulous actress. I, she is such a good yes, actress. Once again, movie. go watch A Mouthful of Air. Please, please, please. She's so fucking good in that. And that's such an important movie. But she's such a good, good actress. And She's doing a really good job in this. Um, you know, it's just, I think that's the reason to watch it is her performance. 
other than that, it's it's okay. It just could have been just a movie. We're going to get into 10 Things I Hate About You. We're going to be spoiling this movie. So if you, if you haven't read Taming of the Shrew, if you haven't seen this, it was out since 1999. Sorry. Susie and Mal, I, ref I would like to politely ask you to not tell us how old you were or not. <laughs> came out um <laughs> uh, but uh, i love this movie so dang much and i really am glad we're gonna be talking about it i think this will be fun it, i still love watching it i still i don't care um if people say it's problematic i still love the sing heath ledger singing still one of my all-time favorite romantic scenes in any movie ever so uh i want to get into first just you know, around this time in the 90s, there was this trend of updating Shakespeare, taking Shakespeare and putting Shakespeare in modern times, but with modern language instead of using the same language like they did with Romeo and Juliet. That one movie that I watched recently, Midsummer Night's Dream. So and this is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, too. But there was like there was also the movie O, which is another great, great movie. Josh Hartnett is so damn good in that movie and yeah, julia um, styles is also in that yes but josh hartnett sticks out to me more yeah. because he has these subtle things that he does there's a scene where he just zips up his jacket when he's sitting in the hall and he doesn't say anything and there's something in the way he does it that just says everything about the character anyway i love josh hartnett i met him at um, a frat party once oh yeah i remember you telling me that yeah <laughs> he should have a bigger career but anyway <laughs> he's my number yeah. one favorite <laughs> Right oh, after Finn Wittrock, Christian Bale. Jeff Bridges. Don't forget, Bridges, she got so George mad. <laughs> okay, so back to Shakespeare. So anyway, so this was one of the ones that was updated. So they took Taming of the Shrew, updated it, set it in high school and in Seattle, because Seattle was still big at this time. Uh, it was like the hip hopping in place to be. I'm sure it still is. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty small now. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the in thing. It was still the I, 90s. I, grunge was still pretty big then. It was the lacrosse right. of the 2000s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, I want to know, Meg, were you into, well, I know you love this movie, but were you into, because I know you like Shakespeare. I know you were a theater person like me. Were you, did you love Taming of the Shrew? And are you into these updated, modernized versions of? So I, I have been going to Shakespeare plays since I was probably 10. Um, so yes, I absolutely love Shakespeare. I, um, I have performed Shakespeare. I was critically acclaimed for my role as Adriana in A Comedy of Errors. <laughs> but I at first okay so as far as the movies and stuff goes like Hamlet as the Lion King chef's kiss <laughs> I think that was an amazing I hate I like I'll get shit for it but I think the Lion King was a fantastic adaptation of Hamlet especially for kids but that's a whole other conversation um I really really enjoyed the movie adaptations I loved Romeo and Juliet I think that Baz Luhrmann's version did such an amazing job of keeping the original text and but making it so it was really what William Shakespeare 
wanted was to be accessible to people because we think of William Shakespeare now as being so like up here and everything like that. And that's not what William Shakespeare was. He wrote shit for the common folk. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love the adaptations. I love when they're faithful adaptations. I'm like, she's the man is not my favorite (laughs) adaptation of the 12th night. I don't hate it. Susie. I, I understand. I, have, I do too. I do too. I understand that this was the one that Susie remembers because she was a zygote <laughs> when 10 Things I Hate About during the golden era of modern Shakespeare adaptations goes. Excuse me. I was two years old when this movie came out. <clears throat> oh my God. I hate you so oh, much. I asked you not to tell me how old you were, Susie. I hate but to kind of go off on that i remember at one point i was at a bookstore and i saw something it was shakespeare in emojis and it was entire works of shakespeare as text messages and emojis and i remember like the theater snob in me got really really upset at first and then then i looked through it and i was just like no my man billy shakes would have 100% loved that because it was his words in a language that people could understand and it made it more accessible to people. And I think that's what I really love about modern adaptations. As long as they get like, I don't think you need to change the script necessarily to make Shakespeare accessible. I think that so much of that is in the people who are performing. I think it's, it's less about the language and more about the acting. If that makes sense. No, that's, I think that's the perfect way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So Paula, are you a Shakespeare fan? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the emojis version is I know, brilliant. I, I haven't seen it, but now I want to find it. <laughs> it's, it's so brilliant. brilliant. It's, it's so awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Now I got to say, I was not a fan of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, but I'm not really a fan of Baz Luhrmann period. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hate Baz Luhrmann. Thank you. Except it's Strictly Ballroom. Both of you get out. <laughs> this is my hated, podcast now. Hated Moulin Rouge. Almost thank got up and walked out of the theater. That's how much I hated that movie. Anyway. <clears throat> so could we say it was your galaxy quest? <laughs> I left the theater a galaxy quest. Yeah. Okay, oh we could say that. Which is funny because I love that movie now. Okay, I have not changed my mind. <laughs> But I think that um, them updating and, and adapting Shakespeare is is great because the language is very hard for especially modern teenagers to, in, in any era, even back when we were teenagers, which was not that long ago, okay? It wasn't. It's hard we're to... We're basically still teenagers. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's hard sometimes to decipher that language because it, we're so far removed from it. So I think the adaptations are fantastic. And this was one of my favorite movies at that time because i mean who doesn't love keith ledger and who wouldn't want them to sing to them yes yes and i'm so glad i have found someone who agrees with me about baz lerman because i love i love strictly ballroom i will say that that's one of my favorite movies um but everything after that he just oh he drives he just he's, he's like nails on the chalkboard for me Mm-hmm. And it's weird yeah. because he does stuff that on the surface is something I would like. I don't know about his Elvis movie because I don't know if we need another 
Elvis. And Bruce Campbell is um, the benchmark best Elvis ever. So it's very hard to beat that for me. So I don't know. Bruce Campbell but... is Aaron's number one all-time favorite actor. <laughs> <laughs> Again, should be on everybody's list. But yes. you know, I, that's honestly, another conversation. I'm not going to lie. So I don't like Romeo and Juliet. I hate don't like it. Juliet. No, hates it. Hate Do that not story. like it. Ugh. Hate that story. Anyway. The story. I will not get mad at Baz Luhrmann's version of it because it made a lot of people interested and made Shakespeare accessible to a whole new generation in a way that I don't think the 1960s, is it 60s or 70s? 60s with like 60s. the girl with the giant tits. Mm-hmm. Um in the way that movie did or the original text did. Right. No, and I agree. I, you know, what the, what he did and, you know, a lot of people liked it. Fantastic. But I personally hated it. <laughs> and, and I was never Kick a fan of the either. Damn it, Paula. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, someone's got to be devil's advocate, okay? Exactly. Hey, hey, Paula. Um... <laughs> so, Susie, do you love Shakespeare? Do you love Baz Luhrmann? Do you <laughs> Or are Baz you in the Lerman just exists, I suppose. <laughs> I didn't say I like Baz Luhrmann, but I like that version of Romeo and Juliet. No, no I listen. Like the best version of Romeo and Juliet is the Garden Gnome animated kids film. Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, which Juliet is sung by Sir Elton John. It's amazing. It is amazing. Amazing. Okay, now I have I to agree. watch this movie. That's number one <laughs> best Romeo and Juliet yeah. adaptation. Best adaptation you that I've pretty seen much had me story. at gnomes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's so good. Oh my god! And I like all the all like the key moments in the story are set to like Elton John songs, and there's even like he even wrote like a special one just for the movie with Lady Gaga, which is also freaking great. And I'm just like, yes. Erin's filling out her 2023 schedule, and it's gonna be Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Fun story: the voice actor for Nomeo. Is her number one favorite actor. She doesn't even know who it is. This is never gonna. It's never. This is the new flip, Smitzmock. I'm so glad I have Susie here though, because whenever I have one of my Finn crew on here, because that's what I'm calling Jen, Susie, and Aaron A. That's my Finn crew, (laughs) because we have our own DM and everything. Susie's like, yep. Yeah, we're the Finn Wit crew, just saying. <laughs> you you already said the Romeo and Juliet, but how did you how do you feel about Shakespeare overall? Do oh, I, like I think I think he's fine. Listen, I just like right now, like overall throughout my history of living, my relationship with Shakespeare has been very like moderate and like, oh yes, I like the works of this of this fun bard. But as of late, I've, I've developed um, a seething like dislike for Hamlet because <laughs> I have to do like a I've been having to do a, a script analysis for it in one of my theater classes, um, and it it's five acts, and my this is 
listen this is march madness my brain is not like i'm going cuckoo for cocoa puffs i can't do this i can't i'm I'm too exhausted why has there been a good adaptation for the scottish play i found out that there's like ethan hawk did a hamlet movie where he's reciting to be or not to be in blockbuster and it is like I love Hamlet. David Tennant did a version. Oh my goodness. So good. good. Love that man. So good. Andrew Scott, look up his version of To Be or Not To Be of Lex Soliloquy. Yes. He makes it like so conversational and so good. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I guess to revise my answer, I do like the bard and the things that have come out of his. Just not Hamlet at the moment. Yeah. They're not Hamlet at the moment. We're just, we're we're keeping a, we're keeping a a good space of Hamlet. Maybe like after I've been separated from it for like two months, we'll, we'll come back to like, come around to loving it. Love Lion King though. Great song. Great soundtrack. Great story. Yes. But I like that it's, that different writers like modernize it for kind of like today's audience, so to speak, because it does make his works more accessible to people who don't want to read five act plays. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't want to go through all the thou doth thy mother know you weareth her drapes to the commissary like or you know well that's like, where i that's um, where i like i was talking about how i feel like the actors really play such a huge like you talk about yeah. that soliloquy how the the actors play such a huge part on whether or not shakespeare is accessible because i feel like a lot of the movies and a lot of the adaptations we see of people who are speaking Shakespearean or Elizabethan, um, they don't actually know what they're saying. Yeah, it's very it's very dry and kind of like surface level. But then there are actors that do like they uh, they, they, uh, they like the way that they say it and um, the way they act it out. They just make it seem like conversational and like, oh yeah, this is not so far removed from from today's language. And yeah. also, you are very wrong. My favorite adaptation of any of Shakespeare's work is She's the Man. Just get out, mate. Just get out. No. No. Cancel. I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> and I'll just quickly say, Meg, there is a new version of the Scottish play that just recently came out, directed by one of the Cohen brothers with Francis McDormand and um, Denzel Washington. And it's supposed to be fantastic. I'm surprised you haven't heard of this. I'm excited because I love that play. But they really have not adapted it at all. That's my favorite Shakespeare play. So, um, yeah, the the one you never say the name of. If people don't know that, that is Google out damn spot. Uh, so I'll just quickly add that I I I like a lot of the uh, Shakespeare adaptations, like the modern day ones. I will say there are times when if it's updated and they use the same language, it comes off as a gimmick like that Midsummer Night's Dream with Finn Whitrock. And I did not like that movie. <laughs> I'm, I wanted to like that movie so badly because of the cast. But uh, I just, it, that was, that to me Wait, was a good are we talking about the Michelle Pfeiffer one or was there another one? No, this was another one with, um, okay. it's with Finn Whitrock and Lily Rabe. Um, Hamish, I can never remember how, but he's such a fantastic actor from, um, the most recent thing, Midnight Mass, um, and a bunch of other people. Because I love the Stanley Tucci, Michelle Pfeiffer. No, it's not that one. This was, Everett a, one. this was a recent I think it's Hamish Linklater or Linklater. Thank you. I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. But yeah, he's fan- And it's a great, everybody's good in it. It's just very gimmicky, but it is nice to see 
Lily Rabe not get tortured by Ryan Murphy sometimes. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I like them. I think uh, as far as like the ones that were the teen ones, I actually, I love 10 Things I Hate About You so much, but O is actually probably my favorite just because I just, I think it's great. And talking and speaking of actors who really get what's going on, I think everybody in that one really got what Othello was and really knew what they were doing and what their characters were doing. And I think the same can be said for 10 Things I Hate About You. And I think that's why it works so well. And also the cast behind the scenes loved each other. Like all the cast has said, this was a rare experience where they all got along. And even though Heath Ledger didn't come on until they had already started filming, he and everybody was worried he wouldn't fit in, but then he did. And so I, so I think that's also what makes this film work is because everybody's working well together. So I think that makes a difference. Okay, so let's get into the characters here and their relationships with each other. Um, so let's start with the sisters, Kat and Bianca. And Kat, of course, is the older sister, if you don't already know the story. Um, let's get into their relationship first. So what do you think about the sisters here, Meg, who are not permitted to date because uh, their father wants to control their sexuality? <laughs> so aside from that, I remember in 1999, it was like this really funny kind of jokey thing. And, and as the years have gone by, it feels kind of gross as far as their dad goes. So I was Bianca's age when this movie came out and my sister was Kat's age. My sister also looks, looked in high school and behaved very much like Kat. Um, I was not so much like Bianca, but my sister, like Kat reminded me so much of my sister and my sister and I were having such a really, really hard time in our relationship. So this movie like holds this little special place because like those two sisters kind of came together at the end. And I was like, well, maybe I can have that again with my sister. So I, I get very like emotional kind of talking about Kat and Bianca's relationship. Cause I feel like to me, it's really realistic. Um, they're not always nice to each other. They don't understand each other and they, sometimes don't want to make the effort to do so. And sometimes when one is trying, the other one isn't receiving it. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't apologize. Um, this was, this movie came out in like the hardest time of my life. And, the, and a lot of that was to do with my relationship with my sister who was going through the hardest time of her life. And my sister was the popular girl who decided she didn't want to be popular anymore. And then she wasn't. And she played soccer. She like looked just like her and everything. And it was just, it. but this is like a really fun movie and everything. But I just thought, I thought their relationship was really realistic. I think so much of it mirrored my relationship with my sister at the same time. And so much it was because I was the same age as Bianca and, and, these sisters were the same age and my sister is the point where she was wanting to flee. And I so desperately wanted her to stay, but also didn't want her around me at all because we were so different. Um, I never schemed to pay someone to date her. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I didn't go that far. Um, but I do remember my now husband, then crush, being terrified of her 
because my husband was around at the same time when this movie came out. We were friends at the time or whatever. I'm trying to not cry. So I love their relationship. I think that it's really realistic and I will talk a little bit more about it maybe later. I don't like being first. I don't like this. <laughs> I changed my I'm mind. I'm remind you next time that you're conflating. I'll remind I just you. don't like to go after Carla because she takes all of my thoughts. Yeah. Well, that'll happen tomorrow. So, <laughs> so Paula, your thoughts on Kat and Bianca? Um, I, I also have a sister. Um, I'm the older sister in this instance. Um, and my sister's two years younger than me. And that's kind of one of the things I always pay attention to when there are siblings in a movie or a show is how how they re- how how they act against each other and if that feels realistic to me. And I also kind of got that that vibe of this being a real sibling relationship, and I really really liked that. So- <laughs> there wasn't a lot relatable between us just because we actually, um, my sister's deaf. So we actually went to totally different high schools growing up. Um, so we didn't have a lot of interaction socially that way, but outside of school, I think that actually contributed us kind of having some of those same issues where we couldn't really relate to each other because we weren't in, in that setting together. So it's, it was kind of interesting to see going back and watching the movie now um watching that relationship kind of evolve through the movie um and having um also dealing not just with what's going on in high school but what's going on at home with you know with their dad and with their mother having left which is something that we can relate to as adults that happened to us so that was kind of a um a new way to view the movie as an adult because i haven't seen this movie in 20 years (laughs) you know, since it, since it came out, although I loved it at the time. Um, so, so I get a little bit different perspective now on, on it being an adult. Um, and it was, it was very interesting to, to see how their relationship evolved, which wasn't really something I paid attention to when I was a kid. Um, but I do now. So. So Susie, do you, do you have, do you have siblings? Well, I, I, uh, well, I do. Okay. You don't have to say. Yeah, um, my sibling story is very sad, so I'm not going to get into okay. it. But the okay. thing is, is that I grew up with no siblings. And for me, it's always interesting whenever I watch media to see the relationships that siblings have. And something that I always found interesting about the story of like of Bianca's interactions is that they like from what I've gathered from my years of watching stuff. <laughs> Is that they do they 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 feel like really real siblings because like they're very different and they like they do fight but at the end of the day they still care for each other and they love each other and like even though sometimes they might do like <laughs> they might pay off a guy to date their sibling or they they might like piss off their dad by getting into like a lot of fights and stuff. They're still like, okay, if you want to go to this party, because I love you, I'm going to go to, like, you really want to go to prom, and even though I'm not going to do this for any, I wouldn't do this for anyone else, I'm going to do it for you because you're my sister and I care for you. And I think it's really sweet to see, like, how they kind of start, like, you can kind of see them start to come around 
a little bit more in the end and kind of accept each other's differences a little bit more and support each other a little bit more than at the beginning of the movie where they were really at each other's throats. <laughs> but I just, I, I like their sibling relationship just overall. I think it's really good to see that like progression of them going from like really like fighting a lot to going to like really care for each other and and want to support each other and be there for each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the older sister and I have a younger sister who's, you know, like two and a half years younger than me. And, you know, we fought a lot when we were growing up, but as an older sibling, when you're an older sibling, you kind of had this, this feeling of wanting to care for your younger sibling, no matter what is this natural thing where you're very protective of them. So like we would fight, we could fight, but if anyone, anyone did anything to my sister, said anything bad about my sister, th that was it. You know, I would take my sister's side over the person's side all the time. I, so as an older sibling, it's just kind of this natural thing where even though you might be fighting all the time, you're not getting along. It's like this instinct of like, oh, you, you're going to, no, you cannot pick on my sister and no one was ever good enough for my sister, that kind of stuff. But we did fight constantly. And, you know, we kind of hung out with the same people though. We've always kind of had the same friends, but it's kind of not. And, you know, like we went to the same high school, but she was a couple of years younger than me. Uh, but we still kind of had some of the same friends, but some of not the same friends. So we were always in the same circles, but we still kind of fought a lot. And I would say, I mean, this movie came out, I was just out of high school pretty much when this movie came out. So I wasn't in high school at the time of this movie, but I do think this was a very, very, very realistic portrayal of a sister relationship because even though Bianca, I think, is very much like, you know, I want to be able to have fun in high school. And this is what high school is for me right now is I want to be able to have fun. I want to date. I, you know, I have this crush on this asshole guy, but I want to date him, which is very, you know, that's very high school <laughs> anyway. And feeling like her because of her sister, even though it's really her dad, but because of her sister, she can't do this. And wanting to have that freedom and feeling like she's being pulled down by that and there's all there's a secret you know there which that she didn't know about her sister and then finding that stuff out and so you know it's like they're they're butting heads constantly and cat but cat really i think at the heart of it doesn't want her sister to go through what she did mm -hmm. so that's why she's trying to do that when i think what she ends up learning in the end is that she can't her sister isn't her and she can't control what happens to her sister and she has to give her sister a little bit of freedom and i think that's the ultimate lesson here for cat in her relationship with her sister at least is that her sister you know you know even bianca says it you know i'm not gonna what makes you think i'm gonna make the same mistakes you made what makes you think i'm gonna do the same thing you did you know yeah. so it's like that kind of thing it's the letting go so I feel like that interaction was the most realistic of all of them, though, where Cat like goes and she she gives this big confession about what happened with her and Joey, and she was just like, "I wanted you to make your own, like, make your own decisions about him." And and Bianca's like, "So you kept this giant secret from me, and still hindered my choices because you wanted me to make up my own mind." And just that whole interaction where. Cat as the older sibling so desperately wants to protect her sister 
while at the same time kind of resenting her sister, which is understandable. And Bianca not understanding her reasoning because I feel like I'm the youngest sibling and I never really I never really got that with my sister. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, why can't you just let me live my life? Why do you have to control everything? Um, and I just felt like that interaction where Kat's like, I'm going to try and open up with you and everything and talk to you. And Bianca's like, this is messed up. Get out of my room. I just. I, yeah. No, that's not true. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to Kat and Patrick's relationship, which is the love story at the heart of this. I mean, there are a couple of other love stories, but this is the main central one. And Patrick Verona, of course, is played by the late, great, amazing Heath Ledger, who I can't imagine anybody else in this role. Heath Ledger is was one of the best actors we have ever, ever had, hands down. So sometimes it makes me emotional just talking about Heath Ledger. Honestly, watching Heath Ledger, watching this movie, it was like, uh, I remember seeing this and just being like, I'm going to love this actor forever. And yeah, I still remember the day he passed. So it's, it's, it's very, very sad to me to watch him sometimes just because I just can't imagine the amazing art he would have given us if he was still alive. So, so Kat and Patrick's relationship, you know, (laughs) they kind of, you know, he's paid to go to date her and they have the, you know, enemies to lovers pretty much as there is their storyline. And they're both the outcasts of the school. And Patrick actually, I think is, I I love Patrick. Anyway, so Meg, what are your thoughts on their relationship? I was going to say Aaron's just going to do take over the whole thing. Sorry. Do you have any thoughts? No, I love their- This is one of my favorites. So sorry. No, I love their relationship. I think it's so sweet. I- I get so annoyed. I get so mad watching this movie. Like, I love this movie. I get so annoyed with how, and I have always felt this way about how Cameron and the hell's the AV guy's name. I can't think of Michael. Michael. Like, how can I forget his name? (laughs) I get so mad every time when they're like, we got to find someone who's willing to date Kat. And like, they don't even take Kat. Like, maybe she doesn't want, like, they just have to find some willing guy to date her, and she's so desperate that she'll just, like, grab onto anybody. I mean, it's Heath Ledger, so yes, of course. (laughs) But before that, when he's like, well, if there was no other women and no sheep, are there sheep? Like, that, like, why? Why? Like, all these low-quality, horrible Mm -hmm. creepers, like... Well, they're losers, so they'll date Cat and like this beautiful, independent, strong feminist woman. And they're like, well, no one wants to date her because she's so challenging. Um, I love their relationship. I love Patrick being so vulnerable with her. I forget about the paying aspect of their relationship a little bit. You could almost call this a fake relationship trope. Yeah. But I feel like it's fake in name only because I think after Patrick, after the first time Patrick gets paid, he's just really intrigued by her and just wants to be around her. And the money is a side benefit, but I think he would want to be around Kat regardless. And I think we obviously see that. They're paintballing and the detention. Like, (laughs) it's so cute. Like, 
it feels so real and so genuine. And I can so feel for Kat when she finds out that Patrick is being paid. I can feel that heartbreak because everything was so real up to that point and to have that illusion shattered it broke my heart for her honestly but when he's some like everyone is saying like he ate everything but the beak of a duck <laughs> he spent a year in san quentin when he was eating spaghettios in milwaukee with his day with his grandma like it's such a cute relationship and it feels very 17 like it i don't know a, like a way to say that it doesn't sound patronizing, but it feels like a very 17-year-old relationship where they think they're very grown up. And they're not. Because 17-year-olds aren't. I feel like 25-year-olds are barely there at this point. I feel like I'm barely grown up and I have two children. <laughs> but it's just, it's it's really sweet. And I feel like the... Julie Stiles and Heath Ledger had such great chemistry. I believed the heartbreak when Julie, when Kat found out that Patrick was being paid. I, it was very weird to see smoking so prevalent in a movie again. That's true. <laughs> but like when they're in this middle of this argument, and he takes out a cigarette and she takes it and throws it. I'm just like, oh my God. I just. I love them. Like, I, I try to be mad at Patrick for taking money to take her out, but I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Like, I know there's problematic shit in this movie, but I just, I don't care because I love it. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. the play is problematic if you're going to look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Paula. I... <sighs> I love I love it too. It's it, like you said. It's it is really very cute and sweet and adorable, you know. And I think it it turned very quickly for Patrick. Yes, initially it was a payoff, but like you said, as soon as he, you know, as soon as he started with that relationship, it immediately turned, and he came across very caring and interested in her genuinely. Um, it wasn't just about the money and. I think, I know it wasn't explicitly said, but he took that money and that's what he used to buy that guitar for her. Oh, definitely. oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah. you know, he didn't even profit off of it really, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that relationship. It, it was very sweet to watch. Well, and not just the guitar uh, was paying to be able to sing the song to her. Oh, right. I, no, and the band, um, the mm -hmm. the singer that she that she really liked, he called in a favor for that. I mean, he he really paid attention to her, and mm -hmm. and did things for her. Yeah, I didn't talk yeah. about the song because I thought it was a whole. It is. It is. I was just saying the <laughs> yeah. money wise. I was just saying the money wise that it was like all spent. I'm just sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all spent on her. Mm -hmm. So, it is as much as that wasn't a great thing that he did he still turned it around and and used it for her so you know we can, we can still forgive him i guess <laughs> he's we he, exactly him. he gets a pass <laughs> yes so Susie, oh i love their relationship it is it is so sweet and it is very like of like very teenagery, like when you think it's anything and everything in the world to you, and it's and I, 
like from the beginning you can kind of tell that he's just like taking the piss and like oh yeah i'm gonna date this girl for like 75 bucks (laughs) and we'll see what happens but then when you see that the more he gets to know like the more he starts learning about her and all her likes and dislikes and and the, the more time he spends hanging out with her and talking with her you can see how like real it's becoming to him and he be and he opens up to her like they open up to each other and they're very vulnerable they exchange like my I think one of my favorite scenes of them together is when they're exchanging like the rumors that people say about them Mm -hmm. and he's like oh how about um Bobby and his balls and she's like oh yeah that's true but he was trying to grow up me and he's like how about you in the porn career (laughs) and like he does like the final thing of like even opening up to her at the dance and he also does so many things for her like he like he has the he asked the band to perform at their prom which it was like a really big thing <laughs> and he, he he like he even says he gets her the guitar because he's like oh i had some extra money lying around you know so it's whatever but you want and he like he remembered when she told him that she was drunk she was like this is what i should do write music and he like filed that away and even at the end when he gets her the guitar he's like you know you should have this for when you start your band like she by all aspects might not have remembered that conversation but he did and he held on to that information because he knew that it was something that like even if she was like drunk it was something important to her and even when she was wasted he didn't he didn't take advantage of her he he mm-hmm. he, he tried to keep her conscious <laughs> with her concussion try to help her out and even like took her home and was like very respectful and everything and it's like oh man it's like a yes, low bar it but it's not, an important it's, it, it's one it's a low bar but it's <laughs> very important, important. Very important. <laughs> but like they're 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 just their relationship is like even if it did get started under very like not oh geez good reasons like they do you can see that they do care for each other and it does hurt them when they're when like she gets mad at him and and he has to confess that he has and they're separated and you can see the, the effect that it has on them both and I think it's really sweet how like these two armadillos just turn into beautiful butterflies yeah I've never I, heard I, the armadillo <laughs> thing but that's well, amazing they, they're like they have their walls up and you know yes I, 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 just, the like, hard um, shells yeah. the hard shells yeah but they turn into butterflies <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to use that one from now on <laughs> That's yeah, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. Um yes, yes, their their chemistry is amazing. I this is one of my all-time favorite romantic pairings because of that chemistry. I, I also love it in the play as well. Um, and I've seen like good versions of this play and bad versions, and it all hinges on this the the their chemistry. That's how the play works. That's the only way it works. That's the only way this movie would have worked. And their chemistry is perfect. And yes, it is a low bar to be like, oh, he's so impressive because he doesn't take advantage of her when she's drunk. But it's still so important because that says so much about consent in general, because that is one of the criticisms of this movie. But the fact that he respects her consent there in the car is is incredible because he could have just i mean he won't even kiss her and that i mean not even a kiss and most people be like oh it's just a kiss 
but she's drunk. She's like really drunk and she was upset at the party and it wouldn't have been the right time. And he knew that at the right time was the right time when they kissed during paintball. That was like the perfect first kiss to have. And that was like a perfect date to have and everything. And they, their chemistry is great, but also just the way they interact with each other. And they both have, you know, they're both armadillos, as Susie said, but they both do have those walls up in different ways and for different reasons, probably. And they're both thought of as like these like quote unquote freaks in the school. And they're not, I mean, they're just, they're really, they have really great hearts, both of them. And I think what you learn the most about Patrick is, you know, Patrick is supposed to be this scary guy who's dangerous and he smokes and all this stuff, but he's not at all. He is just the sweetest of sweets guys, really. I mean, he's just some of the lines he has in here, like when he tells Cameron, you know, you know, you're, you're twice the man that Joey is, you know, you, do you really love this girl? Is it really worth it? If you really like her, then it is. And don't let anybody ever, ever tell you, you know, that you can't be what you want to be, that you aren't, you know, that I'm not phrasing it exactly right, but you know what I'm saying? So that's a great scene. And also, you know, I think a re another reason that Patrick instantly likes Kat is Kat is not afraid of him. Ever. There's not a single second where she's intimidated by him. And I think that intrigues him. It intrigues him that she is not impressed with Joey. And I think a big reason Patrick actually does this isn't just because of the money and because I'll get to go out with a girl, whatever. I think he does it because he hates Joey and he hates what Joey stands for. And so to him, it's like taking money away from a douchebag. And it's not right what he did. But I think in some ways it's easier to forgive him because of the fact that he doesn't go out and spend all this money and he actually likes her and cares for her. And, uh, you know, he is attracted to her, not just because she's beautiful, but because of who she is on the inside. And they both are vulnerable with each other. And I think that's why it hurts Kat so much because she was so vulnerable with him. And it was the first time she had been vulnerable since Joey. And the way Joey treated her after she lost her virginity to him was horrendous, sadly typical of a lot of teenage boys, but horrendous. And so I think for her, it was like, oh, I'm going to go through this crap again. And also to know that it wasn't just him that did this. It was her sister too. So double betrayal. So yeah, but, but I love them together. I love their final scene together so damn much. I love, we'll talk about the, the poem later. So I won't really get into that, but I just, they just have such, I just, I love them so, so much. I could watch like, sadly we will never get it, but I could have watched like a sequel. I don't, but, but like you said, they're 17. About you. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, they were 17. So I don't know if their relationship lasted past high school because it's very much a 17 year old relationship, but it could have. So, you know. And the um, line is don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Thank and you. I agree. I was That's like, one oh. of my favorite lines yes. of the entire movie. And the way he says it, because it's just like, you know, he's well, because Cameron's whining. Uh, Cameron and Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that character. Uh, okay, well, we're gonna get to Cameron here in just a second here. But first, uh Carla <laughs> said, also without the scene where Patrick sings on the bleachers, we don't have the Jamie has a gun moment. <laughs> 
not another teen movie. Oh man, that's true. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And so, movie in the nineties, it's a higher bar to not kiss or take advantage of a girl who's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still kind of a big thing now i think frankly but <laughs> especially just even a kiss i mean <laughs> yeah okay so let's move on to the other romantic relationship in this cameron played by jgl joseph gordon levitt <laughs> uh who really didn't want to do this movie on he said but then he ended up loving it but um and bianca and bianca of course likes joey even though she slowly realizes what a piece of crap Joey is and how shallow he is and gets bored. And Cameron, of course, is instantly smitten with Bianca, sets this whole thing up, is actually the mastermind behind the whole thing, brings Joey in, you know, along with his friend. I forgot his name again. Michael. Michael. Thank <laughs> you. He's forgettable. Uh, no. <laughs> so your thoughts on this relationship? So... It's very interesting. Okay, first off, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I love David Crumholtz, who plays Michael. <laughs> I think he did a good job being such a weird, like, how are you in high school? Him and what is the Bowie Lowenstein or Bogie Lowenstein? Yeah. <laughs> how are these people in high school? You are like 45 years old already <laughs> with your like slacks and button up shirts and talking about stock markets in high school. Anyway, that is beyond the point. Um, when I first saw this movie, um, I think it's because I was Bianca's age. I was like, oh, this is so cute and everything. And every subsequent time I've watched it, it's been more like, Jesus Christ, you are children. Like, if Kat and Patrick are like this realistic and lovely kind of high school romance where you could kind of see that and maybe they stick together for a year after high school or maybe they're just enjoying growing together and and this is a I don't think a relationship ending is a relationship failing per se this just felt very shallow and everything it was a foil basically to Kat and Patrick so all of the depth all of that beauty that we see in Kat and Patrick who fall in love with each other because of who they are, not because of how they look, not because of how the world is perceiving them. Cameron and Bianca are the opposites. Cameron offers a two to Bianca in French and like just stays one lesson ahead of her <laughs> to tutor her in French. Um, he instantly falls in love with her. He does not care about how she feels about anything. She doesn't care about how he feels about anything. It just feels like these are two attractive people who are going to wind up being together. And once she realizes that Joey's a narcissistic, narcissistic, narcissistic piece of shit, um, she decides, well, I may as well go hang out with Cameron. He'll give me a ride home from this party. And then I may as well kiss Cameron because he gave me a ride home from the party. And then even they use each other in this really weird way. And Cameron uses Kat, uses Patrick. Like, it's all, it's all icky. Their relationship, it just feels a little icky to me. 
because both of them are lying to each other and to themselves about what's going on. And it's just the superficiality of it is just, it's not it for me. I will take Michael and what is her friend's name? The, the one in a Mandela. relationship, Mandela. I will take Michael and Mandela's little freaky Shakespeare love fest over over Cameron and Bianca any day. But they go sailing, so I guess there's that. And there's no consequences whatsoever to what they do to Kat. That's true. Like, none. Patrick gets this shit, and then they're like, well, we didn't have anything to do with it. We're gonna go on a boat. <laughs> To invite your sister sailing with you after you, like, humiliated her is, like, asking to drown. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's asking her to kill your new boyfriend because he yeah. orchestrated the whole Come on a boat with me and my boyfriend who humiliated you by paying someone to go out with you. Well, yeah, let's go on open water. To get water. to me. She's like, yeah. Oh, sure. She's like, come here, Cameron. Her like, and her... <laughs> Her and her beer-flavored nipples. <laughs> we can't forget that. Patrick said it, not me. I'm quoting the movie, Aaron. You can't get mad at me. No, I know Patrick said it. It's one of my favorite lines, honestly. <laughs> Number one all-time I... favorite line of any movie ever. I, I'd forgotten that that was a line, and honestly, I'm going to use that from now on. He's like, what's this shit got beer-flavored nipples? <laughs> yeah. My dad, by the way, loves this movie. <laughs> Yeah, my boomer I think, I think my mom loves this movie too. Yeah, yeah. my mom loves this movie too. <laughs> so, so Paula, do you have better thoughts about this? <laughs> Not better, but warmer is what I meant to say. I'm so cranky about them. No, I think Meg and I agree about this one. It was a very manipulative relationship and uh, let me preface this by saying I am not a fan of like the love triangle trope anyway. But yeah, it was it was a very manipulative <laughs> on both sides. They're both just trying to get what they want and use the other person. And it was very icky, as Mike said. Um, uh, but I feel like there was some, you know, character growth at the end there a little bit um, as, as much as as much as they could. Um, yeah, because they're teenagers they are still learning things. Um but uh, yeah, I was not I was not a fan of that whole whole thing. And and Michael and uh, what was the other gal's name? That was a uh, Shakespeare gal. Um, that was. Hopefully, I already forgot. Mandela. 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 <laughs> we keep forgetting these. Things. I know. I've seen I this love... movie like I don't know, I... like 20, 30 times. I literally just finished watching it before we did this. <laughs> but that that was that was a very cute little little side side romance going on there i thought that was adorable i yeah i i agree Susie, your thoughts yeah you know how like with um patrick and cat you just get overwhelmed with like all these like nice warm fuzzy feelings when you get to um cameron and bianca you're just whelmed it's just it is what it is. It's very like I know you can be overwhelmed and I know you can be underwhelmed, but are you ever just whelmed? And I remember watching this with my dad, and my dad was like, You're always just whelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just it's it's very like like they kiss like two pieces of white bread, I'll tell you that. It's just very like uh like sister like, brother. Yeah. Sorry. Like so <laughs> 
it's <laughs> it's just no like this is like that is like I can see like Kat and Patrick maybe making it like through college possibly but those two like end up like what year are they in sophomore if they get to junior year they're just going to be separated it's going to be like oh hi just waving at each other in the hallways like I don't see that relationship going much farther than sophomore year <laughs> they're going to go out on the boat a couple of times take well, a spin around the harbor and then it's gonna Cameron, be like, okay we had a great time see you later Cameron is a junior or a senior because he goes to prom oh and yeah because she's a she's Bianca only and Cassidy who Gabriel Union yeah, he's got a real baby face. I'm thinking junior, possibly. But yeah. yeah, I don't think that relationship is making it like not longer than a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 just yeah, like Michael and Mandela's relationship is a lot more intriguing. <laughs> just so like he got her a dress for prom. How sweet is that? Also kind of weird because how did he know her measurements? How did he know her size? I feel like Michael's <laughs> the kind of guy who would know. Just like, like he does, he does research. <laughs> that was He's thing in the AV club. Up, he yeah, was yeah. doing theater, and she was obviously going to be doing theater if Shakespeare oh, yeah. was on the table. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> they're involved. <laughs> but yeah, I I won't go so far as to say what I said on our when we talked about the dark night and I talked about how much I hated Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie <laughs> in the dark night rises and how much I hate Robin, um, which it's not his fault because I do actually really like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's a great actor. I don't like him in this movie because of his character. It's not him. It's his character. He's just so bland and boring and he's just not, uh, he is like white bread and he's so, he thinks he's such a good guy. This is what's annoying about him is he thinks he's like the best guy in the world and he's so good and he has no faults and problems. And he never, ever, ever once ever in this movie feels guilt or shame for what he did. He never does. And that's so annoying to me because he's it's like, nice he's yes, he's a night. Nice, he's like a quote unquote nice guy. And a lot of those quote unquote nice guys are actually assholes sometimes and so it's like that's what's annoying about him is there's not a single moment where it's like oh i'm gonna come here and make amends for what i've done and there are deleted scenes from this movie there is a deleted scene with cat and bianca where cat you know yells and screams at bianca in the hallway at the school and so there are scenes that weren't in it that probably make that inviting her on a sailboat scene probably work a little bit better but they got cut but yeah, he's totally just, uh, he's just bland, white bread. Anyway, so yeah, they're just, they're bland and boring and not my cup of tea. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So let's move on to Joey. The scumbag. I just briefly, what we, how we can discuss Joey <laughs> is everybody can go around and use a couple of words of how much they hate Joey. <laughs> this is the worst Joey I'm going to talk about this weekend.
the worst. <laughs> I'm glad that you appreciate my joke, Aaron. I do. We're talking about while you were sleeping, by the way. <laughs> On our next episode. Um, Andrew Keegan, first of all, I have never been a fan of Andrew Keegan. I never liked him. I always thought he was such a D-bag in everything that he did. Everything. I hated him in everything. I've never seen a role Andrew Keegan played. Ever. In anything. I hated him so much. in this. And this is kind of my biggest sticking point in this movie is Joey is so unlikable. He's so gross that he's not interesting. That's true. I like interesting villains. I will watch a movie for a villain if they're interesting. And he's not. He's just such a Delta Bravo. And I. <sighs> Douchebag. Delta Bravo. <laughs> I loved watching Susie's face. <laughs> That's what my husband and I would call douchebags around our children when they were little. We would call them Delta Bravos. Um, he's just, he's, he's a caricature. He has nothing to him. I just, he's the worst. I hate him so much. And yes, Andrew Keegan cornered the nineties teen douche market. I think I want to thank him for allowing other actors to like deflect off the teen douchebag market. Cause I think there were a lot of them that could have gone there. But wouldn't because Andrew Keegan was like, no, no, this is my space. And heisman all of them away. <laughs> He's the fucking worst. Andrew Keegan and Joey. Sorry if you have an interview with Andrew Keegan coming up next month. On our next episode, <laughs> I'm going to be sitting down with Andrew Keegan. <laughs> and his in-depth interview with his process. <laughs> I hated he him was so like much. everybody I had him. lots of people loved him. He they had like huge crushes on him. I never I got hated deal, him, but like I remember in high school just this deep burning hatred of this man, and I didn't understand why. But I watched this movie, and I'm like, I get it. You're yeah, correct. Why now, pubescent Meg? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Paula. I know you love Joey, but so defend oh, that's my favorite. Oh God, no! I can't even. I can't even finish that sentence. Uh, no, he he really did corner the market. Did did he ever play a role that was not a douchebag? I don't think he did. He was an Independence Day, but I feel like he was kind of a douche in Independence Day. Yeah, I just and again, I just really, I, I look. He was like aging myself. He was in like every Teen Mag back in the day. And I was like, I don't get it. Do not get it. Because every role I saw him in was this was the same character. And he gives Joey's a bad name, okay? <laughs> I can't wait name. to talk about it. He was a douchebag in Independence Day, too. <laughs> he was, right? Right? He's the one he that's taking out with, like, the pilot's daughter. Yes! <laughs> and he's like, and he looks you don't want to die a virgin, right? And I'm I'm sure that he's a lovely person in real life, but he plays the worst I characters. <laughs> I will give him the benefit of the doubt until such a time as I actually meet him in person, which will probably never yeah. happen, and I'm okay with that. 
I feel like you don't you just, play a douchebag for there are so many roles. Well, I will say this though, and we discussed wrong. this before. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Keegan is her number one all-time favorite. Oh god, Not even. Oh god. Um, no. Uh we've talked about this before that when actors are really good at playing um villains and bad guys. A lot of times, those actors are actually super nice in real life. So I'm just saying that I don't know anything about Andrew Keegan in real life, but he me never. Either, but me either. I don't believe it. <laughs> no, and all the stuff that was in T magazines, that stuff, all stuff's all made up anyway. So you can't believe any of that. So I, I don't know. Like I, I said, read. he could be a very lovely person. I don't know, but he always played the worst characters. Yeah, the way yeah, he looks in the camera for pictures just makes me not trust mm, him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, yeah. He even photographs douchebag. <laughs> there were there were too many teen beat magazines. He is still he is like a forty year old man and still has this happening. And I feel like I can't trust that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Susie, I know you love Joey, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Joey, Uncle Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I, did, I, I was like looking at his Wikipedia of stuff that he's done to see if maybe he's a nice guy anywhere. And just this caught my eye. Um, Andrew Keegan is in a movie called A Midsummer Night's Rave. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to have to look up. So opinion confirmed. Okay. <laughs> his bio is not giving me a lot of hope. He's, I'm not going to lie. He's Xander um, in that in that in in that. Oh, I love how okay. Um, but no, like, okay, so Joey is a fine looking guy, and then he opens his mouth, and all just... <laughs> he's like, not fine. He, like, he looks okay. He's a very like, 90s looking Like, visually, he looks like 90s okay. And then he opens his mouth, and you're like, oh no, you, sir, are just caca. You're like nope. in 70s nine now instead of in 90s. <laughs> But I just, uh, Joey friggin', uh, is the friggin' worst. Just the worst. And I, I love, I love that in the end, that, uh, Bianca is the one to, like, give him the what for. She's like, this is for my sister. This is for my date. And this is for me. Ha ha. And I'm like, yeah. And I love that even, like, everyone in his life hates him. I love that even the teacher's like, you got your ass beat by a girl. (laughs) Everyone's just, like trolling this man and i love that even his teacher was like one day you're gonna get your ass beat by a woman and it's gonna be great and like yeah he he was a soothsayer he he saw the future because of course like just he annoyed me so much though he kicked cat out of class for no reason he thought she was being sarcastic about the poetry project because up until that point he's only ever been sarcastic and antagonistic towards her teachers she was really looking forward to the assignment. She can't wait. Yeah, she, was, she, was really she just wanted to know if it should be an iambic pentameter. <laughs> but no, just why did I <laughs> just know I don't like Joey? Just eh. yeah. I hope his pillow yeah, is I always don't... warm. <laughs> I hope his sock always falls down and gets just scratches under, under his, his foot. Heel. As he's walking. Oh, I hate that is like one of the worst feelings in the world. Yeah. That's a good that's a good thing they wish for him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not gonna add anything else because I'll just say Joey is Joey is a scum, scum, scumbag. Hate him. Don't even think he's attractive. 
he's not even attractive uh, period I, I i don't find the actor attractive so that uh, you know but yeah screw you joey <laughs> just this joey i love a lot of other joeys <laughs> just this joey i'm gonna take that and cut it into all of your friends episodes <laughs> <laughs> i love that joey screw you joey just make a compilation with like different images of joey and just have have that being said <laughs> for each one screw you joey okay well i want to get to the singing number in here i i especially I, I pulled this out as a special moment to talk about there's two of them we're going to talk about and i i wanted to talk about this because this is a scene that has been parried, parried, parodied. God, I cannot speak. Just like, you know, like Carla said before, that was parodied in Not Another Teen Movie. It's also been brought up for years and years afterwards. And now a lot of people find this scene problematic because, uh, you know, Patrick, he's doing this as a way to embarrass himself, to get himself back into the good graces of Kat after she got drunk and he refused to kiss her because she was drunk and so she felt humiliated and wouldn't talk to him so he does this as a form of humiliating himself but a lot of people find problematic elements in this because they say it's actually humiliating her and putting her on the spot frankly i don't give a crap about that <laughs> i love this damn scene so damn much this is one of the best scenes ever in a romantic comedy period and the way Heath Ledger does this is perfection I could watch this scene on repeat I have watched it on repeat <laughs> I remember driving down the highway once when we had drive-ins and this was playing on the drive-in and I happened to drive down right when that scene was playing and I was like oh my gosh can I pull off and watch this scene <laughs> just this one so I don't care what people say I love this scene. Meg. Tony Bennett, you your number one all-time favorite singer. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to say might irritate people. I think a lot of people look for problems and shit that don't need to have them. There is plenty of stuff in this movie to have feelings about problematic shit. There's plenty in this. I've rewatched it and and thought, oh god, this movie is kind of problematic. I still love it, but there's it's there's stuff. This scene I don't feel like it's one of them. There is such a thing, and I'm sorry, in the '90s, especially early 2000s, the grand romantic gesture, and it was never anything more than that. It was not to put pressure on her to like force her to accept his apology or anything like that. Because you don't see her accept his apology there in the moment on the spot. It's not like he's proposing to her at a wedding or anything like that. And some of that he is trying to even the score between the two of them and it's beautiful and it's romantic and I love it so much. I don't think it's problematic. I think people who are saying frankly sorry people are saying that this scene specifically is problematic need to read deeper into this movie because there are plenty of things in this movie to take issue with this lovely gesture this beautiful scene this cop ass slapping jaunt <laughs> through tony bennett's greatest song is not one of them it's just 
adorable. I am sorry. It's just so sweet. And it doesn't hinge on her saying yes or no to him. We don't see her forgive him. We see her smile mm -hmm. because he's making a fool of himself. And I, I'm sorry. I dare you to not smile watching this scene because it's adorable. And Heath Ledger, I love the fact that none of them knew Heath Ledger could sing mm -hmm. until he started doing it. But <sighs> I feel like so much of this, so a lot of the criticism is watching this through the lens of how we are viewing things today rather than in the time. And I see Carla saying something that people do for themselves rather than the other person. I I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like it's putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. She was vulnerable in front of him in a lot of ways. And he, I feel like it's more him trying to even the playing field with her by making himself vulnerable in a way that he isn't necessarily comfortable with. Because he can't just like sit down and get get drunk and 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 be vulnerable in that way. But he is publicly putting himself out there and making himself vulnerable and opening himself up to real humiliation and ridicule, which she's capable of doing if she wants to, as an olive branch. And I think sometimes we should just take things at the at the level they're given and not try to read so much into everything. I agree 110%. So, Paula. <laughs> I had no idea this was even considered problematic. Same. Like, what? Yeah. I, 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 that honestly kind of boggles my mind because it, it's never come across that way. It was sweet. It was cute. It was um, embarrassing probably all around, but it was never it never came across to me as something that was to put okay so like it's not a marriage proposal okay it's not a public marriage proposal which those i have a problem with because that's putting someone on the spot and putting pressure on them but this was just i mean if if nobody knew that they had dated they wouldn't know necessarily who he was seeing too you know it could have been any girl on that field and um i mean come on who doesn't want you know who doesn't want a cute guy singing to him you know, it's. What would we feel and, that way if it was some unattractive dude singing to us? I think <laughs> if it wasn't Heath Ledger, if it was like that weird creeper dude who follows you to your locker every day. Okay, well, no, that's not fun. I will say that. <laughs> I've experienced that. Not fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I never saw it as problematic. I just thought it. It, and it was never intended to be anything of pressure. They specifically said, you need to do something to embarrass yourself and put yourself out there. And that's what he did. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Susie. Um, I thought the song was originally sung by Frankie Valley. That is who Not it is. Tony yes. Bennett. Yeah. I was right. really thrown mm -hmm. for a loop there. I was like, what is going on? I was like, is this a Bears Day Bears Mandela effect situation? Like, what happens? No, I'm just an idiot. No, we're just, it's late and, and we're, we might be a little bit zooted. It's fine. <laughs> I've been huffing paint fumes all day, so that 
oh yes oh that's one of my like my favorite things to do it's like I'm not like endorsing this for anyone but when I was painting my room like the smell of the paint it was just like really yummy and it's 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 just one of those things it's just not yummy just spray painting stuff okay (laughs) (laughs) but um like I didn't know that this was considered even like problematic because well like you said like people consider it problematic because it's like he's almost like forcing something out of her and it's like not real like I don't see it that way because he's well, he's just putting himself out there he's like um, he put together like a whole production for her he got the band to play he borrowed a microphone he fought off security guards <laughs> and just like danced in the bleachers and was having a great time just like putting himself out there for her and like hey listen like you think you were silly here's me being silly and yeah he's not like proposing to her anything like I think this is also around the time when she was like oh I don't want to go to prom because it's stupid like it like I could have easily seen that scene being also like presented as him being like what like at the end being like would you go to prom with me and possibly putting that pressure on her but he never does that he just like sings and then runs away from school security because he's like I did what I came to do I'm out and she's just there just watching him having a great time and then after I imagine that she's processed it and be like okay this guy put himself out there for me we're kind of like I'm gonna go help him out of detention because he did all this for me like like there like yeah there are so many other things in this movie that can be taken like they can also be seen as problematic like the detention scene where she just flashes her teacher <laughs> like yeah <laughs> and but people think that scene it is so romantic listen whenever I watch that scene I get like the biggest dumbest smile on my face and I'm just like ah oh, yes Heath is singing to me in this moment not Julia Stiles me and I'm just like yeah it's like it's just it's cute and whimsical like what like who who among us would not like to be sung to by Heath Ledger? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's there are quite I mean there this isn't the only thing that people call problematic. I wanna say that. It's not the only thing. It's just when I seen when they're talking about problematic tropes in romantic comedies and they lump this scene in with the other problematic scenes in the movie. And it, it, it's stupid, frankly. I think I think it's it makes no sense. This is this is a great scene, and you know, like you said, Paula, no one can tell who he's really singing to. It's not like he has a big sign that says "Forgive me, cat." <laughs> not at all. He's just like, "Here I am this is singing for you, to you, kitty cat." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't have. I mean, he's not like you know putting her on the spot. He's putting himself on the spot. And for a, and you have to look at it this way too. You've got Patrick who has this whole reputation in school of being the dangerous bad guy, bad boy. And he likes to keep that up and he's got this wall. And here he is in front of the whole school. Well, not the whole school, but you know, in front of a big portion of the school doing something that's so out of character for who people think he is. And so he's making himself incredibly vulnerable. And that says, I mean, I think that right there sums up how great the scene is because it's not, it's about him putting 
someone else above his own sense of self-preservation. And I think that's why it's so beautiful. And he also, he really likes her. I mean, he like he likes her so much at this point. And it's not even about the money anymore because he spent he spent some of the money to be able to do this for her. That's the other thing. He spent that money he got to be able to do this for her because he wants her to forgive him, not because of the money, but because he likes her. And he wants her to not feel like she was the only one who ever humiliated herself or anything. And then also, you know, even though he tells her later at the last scene, when she does end up getting him out of detention and the smile on his face when he sees her walk into the room and he notices her, that smile on his face is, oh my gosh, that's a smile you want to get from a guy. It's, oh, that's when he's like, oh, you're here. Oh gosh, you're so cute and beautiful and I love you. I mean, it's that kind of smile. It's so sweet. And and he doesn't say that he knows what she did to get him out of detention but he doesn't say it because he doesn't want to humiliate her again. So he's like, I'm not going to say this, even though I know, I, I mean, he does say, of course he says it at the end, but still, I, I don't know. I just think it's a great romantic gesture. I, I think I loved listening to Heath Ledger sing and I loved the moves that he did down the stairs. His first smile in the beginning when he's just, you know, I don't know. There's just some, there's just every single moment about it is amazing. It's one of my favorite romantic comedy scenes and I won't let anyone take it away from me because <laughs> it's, I mean, there's problematic crap, which we're going to get into here in just a second. I mean, the biggest problematic issue I think in this is honestly the way is the dad, frankly, but um, you know, so yeah, it's not that problematic. Okay. So we're going to get into the father here and uh, you know and also this goes into the other stuff in it too but their dad cat and bianca's dad doesn't want them to date because he's an OBGYN and he delivers all these babies and so he wants to i mean he even makes bianca wear a pregnancy <laughs> belly which is so disgusting when you watch that now it was yeah. funny when i first saw this movie but Looking at it now, I'm like, that is disgusting. So he basically wants to control his daughters and their sexuality. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Meg, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. So when this movie first came out, I found this to be hilarious. This dad mm -hmm. um, who is so not like my dad. But so like just involved in all the wrong ways and rather than trying to communicate with his daughters and this is like so then I just thought it was weird and funny and like that sitcom dad kind of ridiculousness that we were so used to in the 90s now and especially having daughters the idea of rather than talking to your children and trusting them and educating them and trusting them to make choices for themselves you're just going to make this blanket statement that cuts off all of their their romantic interests their growing sexuality like you can't ignore sexuality away you can't like i like i said i have a 13 year old daughter i can't just pretend that those things are not starting to bloom in her life as much as i might want to as a parent um, 
but watching it now is just so gross. Like not letting your daughters date and then like trying to find this loophole because your one daughter was traumatized to be like, well, you can date if your older sister dates and your older, it, it, it bothers me. Now I don't find it nearly as entertaining as I did when I was 15 years old, when this movie came out, him talking about being elbow deep in the placenta of a crack addict felt really gross and like it it felt just really gross to me i just i didn't i didn't think it was funny making bianca wear a pregnancy suit when she gave him no reasons not to trust her neither of them gave him any reason not to trust him he took his mistrust of his upset over his wife leaving him and took that and put that on his daughters and that was just not fair and also on a practical note like what's a quicker way to get your teens to do something than tell them that they can't do it yeah like if i want my teenager to do something i tell her she can't do it and then it gets done it has not worked when i'm like don't do the dishes But most other things. So it just, I don't know. Like what was funny in the 90s in this aspect just is not funny anymore. And I think a lot of it was me working through a lot of internalized misogyny over the years. But yeah. Yeah. So Paula. Looking at this movie now versus when I first saw it. Yeah. Like, like Megan said, it was, it was funny. It was, you know, kind of eye rolling, like, yeah, of course, because we, like, we've all, we've all dealt with this kind of attitude from, from people. Seeing it now really kind of threw it in your face of how bad this behavior was. And it wasn't just, I mean, what, what the father did was horrible, but there was a lot of misogyny throughout the entire movie. There was comments all over the place that I didn't, I did just kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, blew past me before because that was just, you know, again, stuff we just kind of dealt with and, you know, didn't really pay attention. You just kind of roll your eyes and ignore it. And now it's like, I can't believe we just kind of let those kinds of things slide. I mean, you know, just comments from Joey of, you know, can you make Kat take her mind all before she comes to class next time? I'm like, somebody said that to me now i just want to smack them <laughs> you know where back then is like you know that's commonplace and you know i'm not saying it's not commonplace now it still happens it's still very problematic but it was just more i guess noticeable now as a 40 something versus when i was in my 20s watching this movie for the first time of just how rampant it was yeah. i don't know it's just yeah yep Susie. Oh, yeah, that's um, like Megan and Paula have said when they first watched this movie, like as a kid, I thought it was funny. It's like, ah, like you put a pregnancy belly on her. Because I'd never seen a pregnancy belly before that wasn't like on a a gestating human. So seeing like the the plushy version, it was sort of was like, ah, that's funny. Um, 
but yeah, when you get older and you rewatch it and you look at some of the things, you're like, oh, that is not okay. Because like even his first rule of like, you're not gonna date. Rule number, like my two rules, you're not gonna date until you graduate. You're not gonna date until you graduate. And even like Bianca goes, come on, dad, that's really unfair. And he goes, fine, you're not gonna date until your sister does. And he only like amends the rule because at that point, like he presumably knows what Cat has gone through. Like, maybe not, like, completely, but in some aspect. And he knows that she's, like, in that moment, he's, like, oh, yeah, she's never going to date. So my little girl, my other little girl, she's she's going to be fine. Like, there's nothing for me to worry about. And even then, like, he's, like, oh, where are you going? What kind of party are you going to? Who are you going to be with? Da, da, da. Like, before you leave, put on the pregnancy belly. And he's, like, oh, this, this cracked-out teenager told me I should have listened to my father. And he's, like, he's just so intent on just like embarrassing her like even in front of her friend he's like put this pregnancy belly on and wear it and you're just gonna be in this so you can like understand the magnitude of what you're gonna do and it's like she's only going to a party sir like and even he and even he has and even he tells him he's like don't do drugs don't do this don't like don't commit animal sacrifice And, and it's like how like presumably his daughter's have not given him any reason for like him to mistrust them like by all accounts they seem like very good kids you know like 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 they seem like they're doing okay in school like we know we know cat is presumably bianca is if she's bothering to get a tutor for french like she could just as easily like blow off that subject but she's like making strides to try to like maybe improve her own schoolwork I don't know it's just like I had very controlling parents growing up so like that they don't they still don't trust me and like especially my father so and and it's like I've never given them reason not to trust me like I've always been a good kid and in a way like being so controlling of your kids social life is very hindering to them later on when they're adults because they don't know how to interact with the outside world because in those kind of like formative years where they have the opportunity to go out and like talk to people meet people learn more social cues they don't know that so in a way they kind of spend the rest of their life trying to play catch up with with everyone i'm gonna speak up for dad and the whole where are you going? Who are you going to be with? That I just feel like is just a parent thing. Like, I my mean, yeah, that is being that. concerned about like where your kid is, where they're going. There's a, but there's a point where that concern becomes controlling and harmful. Well, yeah, I would never put a pregnant belly on my child before they go yeah. to a party or anything like that. But asking your kid, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time are you going to be home? And especially this is 1999. Cell phones were like not a thing. So that mentality Well, no, I understand that. But different. there's, and like knowing where your kid is, like there, but there is a point where that concern just becomes control. Yeah. And you can see how like his wife, I think it's implied that his wife left him. Yes. That yes, left the family. Did can see how that like experience really hurt him and he seems determined to try to like yeah well and and parenting teenagers is such a fine 
it's such a balancing act between trusting them and wanting your kids to grow and become independent and making good choices for themselves and teaching them how to do that. And then also they're your babies <laughs> and you just want to keep your baby safe. And, and I just say this as a parent who is in the midst of trying to figure out that balance between those two things. So like asking where they're going and who they're going to be with, I didn't think was that dickish. <laughs> no, but even like the comments that everyone else makes all like, like everyone makes so many sexual comments regarding Kat, like, oh, she yeah. must be a lesbian, let her get her mind yeah. out before class. And it's like, what concern is that of yours, sir? Shut up and move on. That's nineties humor. I, uh, yeah, I know, but still, like the mo- the movie, as great as it is, it's not like like many things. It's not infallible. <laughs> but I think the yeah. important part of it, probably, like, is just to like acknowledge the problems with it, and just like, but um. You can still enjoy the media as long as you like acknowledge the issues with it. Like I still enjoy rewatching some episodes of Friends, even though, dear God, some of it is very problematic. Yeah, I mean, I still love Friends, but it's still incredibly problematic in areas. Yeah, yeah, it's just. I mean, it's a lot of that media. I mean, when I rewatched Fresh Prince of Bel Air for our episode, holy moly, the sexism in that show! Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So, and the homophobia and the fat phobia and stuff like the fat phobia, especially is huge in that. Um, sorry, I, that was not a pun at all. Sorry. Uh, but it, but it's really bad in that, in that show. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to add too much to that, but, um, yeah, the, that it, controlling female sexuality is a problem still to this day. And, um, you know, well, yes, I think, I, th- I mean, I'm not a parent, of course, but I think even now, like, if someone I love and care about is going somewhere and they've never been there before or they're, you know, and especially in this time with, like, online dating and stuff, the big thing is always saying, oh, I'm going here. And you want to know. So I understand that. But when you, when you take it to the next level, of course, of put this pregnancy suit on or basically saying you're going to end up pregnant if you go out um, is kind of saying you don't you don't respect your daughters enough to respect their decisions instead of sitting there and saying instead of actually having a conversation and saying you know if you are going to be sexually active uh be safe you know make sure he wears a condom or are you going to be sexually active and and i know and i like i said i'm not a parent so i can't even imagine having this conversation it must be really difficult but having but having to say well maybe we should go to the gynecologist or maybe we should something, or, you know, I won't be there with you, but you know, if you don't want me to be, but you know, that kind of the birth control conversation, that kind of stuff is different than saying, I'm going to put this pregnancy belly on you because that's basically implying that she has no onus over her sexuality and she will just end up having sex no matter what kind of thing. It's the way it's approached because wanting to know where his daughter's going to be, where his daughter's going to be and the phone numbers and having concern over going to a party, I will say is, is a, is a very valid thing because you don't know what's going to happen at the party. I don't think there's going to be animal sacrifices, but you don't know that that could happen. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, (laughs) but, but, you know, so you don't know. So there is, so I get that, but there is this other level where he wants to control his daughter's 
because of the fact that his wife left. So he's putting all of that energy into them and all that, like, it's not blame, but he's putting all of this, like, okay, I don't want to lose anybody else. So I'm going to control you so much and hold you so tight that really what will, I mean, I mean, this isn't a drama, so it's not as serious as that, but really what will happen is you'll end up losing them. You know, it's like, you can only pull, you know, until you lose them. And I think that's kind of where he's on the verge, but um, because of time, we're going to move on now to the last thing. So the last thing we're going to talk about is the poem at the end, the, the 10 things I hate about you poem that I want to just say, if you didn't know, this scene was the first take, the first take of it uh, was what you see on the screen. They loved it so much. I don't know if they did any other takes, but this was the first take. The crying that Julia Stiles does was not at all in the script. That just happened because, I mean, hello. So because she's a good actress and it just happened naturally. Uh, So I want to just, I just wanted to ask about the poem because I think it sums up the whole movie and her character and the two of them together. And especially watching not only her reading the poem, but watching Patrick's reaction to hearing the poem, I think is also amazing. So Meg. I remember watching this and wishing someone would put themselves out there like that for me because it was so beautiful. And like I said, I was 15 when this movie came out and like I, I, I rewatched this movie yesterday and I got emotional watching her read this poem because she, she's so vulnerable she puts everything out there and to watch Patrick just like I and I and I read an interview Julia Stiles did recently where Heath Ledger said this is your scene I'm not gonna do any big thing because this is your scene this is your moment but you can see him crumbling watching her and this is just a testament to both of them and their chemistry and this moment. But that might be one of my favorite scenes in any movie. It's just so heartfelt and heartbreaking. And she is so vulnerable in front of people who have taken such huge advantage of any vulnerability she's ever shown. And it's just, it's beautiful. I don't know. I just hear like, I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. Like I, I have that poem memorized. Like I, I know that poem from beginning to end and it's just, it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and it makes me kind of curious to what Patrick's poem might've been. Yeah. But just like I said, I have a lot of, emotional attachment to cat um because of my own personal um life at the time so seeing cat hurt like broke my heart a lot and this was just one of those scenes that just stuck with me and probably will stick with me for a very long time it's just so beautiful and paula it this one almost 
for me is almost kind of like Kat's grand gesture. You know, we, we were talking about Patrick's grand gesture earlier with him doing the song in front of everybody. This one, I mean, it's definitely more intimate um, just because, you know, it's obvious, you know, she's in a small environment. She doesn't open up to anybody. And this is her way of doing that grand gesture of asking for forgiveness and, and kind of throwing out her feelings of, you know, of how she's, of how she feels about Patrick. And I, I really liked the scene as well. I can't really add much more to what Meg said because she pretty much nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Susie. Oh, I like, it's like, it's so sweet. And like whenever she reads it, I always start crying because when she gets starts getting choked up, I start getting choked up, and then I just start crying. And I'm like, oh, not even a little bit, not even at all. And I'm like, ah, yes, cat, you go, girl. And like I just know that she, like, probably wrote it. Like, like I just know that she wrote it after prom because mainly because of the line, like, um, you didn't even call. Like she was probably waiting for him to call and like like probably apologize and explain himself or something or be like, Hey, let's talk it out. And he did not And that probably hurt her a lot. And in his case, he was just probably trying to give her space because he knew that she would want to talk with him or wasn't ready to, but it's just like, oh, like they're honestly one of my favorite relationships. You can see how much they care for each other and how they're willing to put themselves out there for each other. And it's also really great to see, that love being like reciprocated and like gestures returned and it's they're they're it's just really sweet yeah i mean i mean it's just one of the most beautiful beautiful scenes in a movie ever and what you said meg about heath ledger and i'd heard that before too about him saying that's her scene And I think it also not only goes to their chemistry, but it goes to what wonderful actors they are. Because as an actor, if you're a selfish actor, if he was a selfish actor, he would have taken that moment to do something big and he didn't. And a scene like that would not work if he had taken away that moment because it's about her being vulnerable. It's about her being like okay i am ready to forgive you that's also what it's about because forgiveness is a huge thing and it's really hard to do and that was her step to forgiveness for him towards him and it was all about her that was her moment to shine and that scene would not work if either one of them were selfish actors and that's why Heath Ledger was such an amazing actor because he wasn't a selfish actor. He was a giving actor, even if it was all about him in a scene, he still was giving. I mean, Joker, all all that stuff broke back. I feel like even a tear would have taken away from all of it. Like it would have taken away from her if he had even done that personally. Yeah. And I mean, he gets emotional, but yeah, that would have, that would have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was played perfectly by both of them and you know and and it's also very very much very relatable to 
when you love somebody, especially when you are a teenager and it's like your first real relationship or your first real love. And if something happens during that and it's makes you hate them and it makes you angry at them, you still love them. And that's a lot of what she's saying here. And it's so relatable. That is so, so relatable. That's why it's so good because I think everybody can relate to it on some level of, you know, maybe you had that feeling for someone and, you know, you're mad at them for this. You hate them for this. You hate them for that. But in reality, all those things that you say you hate them for are actually some of the reasons you love them. So it's this very, you know, it's this very confusing thing at that time, I think too. And yeah, the last line of just, you know, and you know, mostly that I just hate that I don't even hate you. Not even a little bit, not even at all. It's just so beautiful and amazing. And I know, um, you know, I've heard some people complain that, you know, he didn't go after her when she left the room, but I actually think it's perfect because that's her moment. And she needs some space after that because that was a lot for her to do for her character to basically stand up there and basically just say, here's my soul and my heart and be completely vulnerable. So I'm glad, I'm glad that he didn't. So I just want to say, I feel, I feel like that plays 100% into Heath Ledger talking about that being Julia Stiles moment, that being her thing. If he had started crying that would be like, Oh, look how vulnerable Patrick is being because he's crying. And, and if he had gotten up, I think all of that would have taken away. I think he did so much acting like micro acting <laughs> with his yeah. eyes that anything more I feel like would have taken away from it. So I don't understand the criticism of him not getting up and running after her because it's just a little tiny thing I've heard from a couple of people. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to wrap up. So thank you everyone for watching. Um, and uh, this has been fun. This is still one of my favorite movies. I really enjoyed watching it last weekend re-watching it for the upteenth time so meg where can they find you and your podcast uh you can find the podcast uh that i have with carla called bed wetter behead on twitter at bed behead pod or on instagram at bed.wed.behead.pod or on the other blue social media at bed behead pod you can find me personally on the Twitter at Wisconsinac, which is W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H. And that is that. If you have any trio suggestions, please tweet them to us because we're running out of ideas. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but suggestions are welcome. <laughs> you could do this movie. Uh, but they're teenagers. So they're teenagers. We can't. Yeah, they're yeah, minors. Right. That's right. Never mind. Uh, so, Paula, uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at It's My Sandbox. Awesome. Thank you. And Susie. Oh, yes. Lovely humans can find me on the Twitters at SusieQ underscore SC. And there's an additional underscore for Instagram. And my dog's Instagram is at Benny underscore Felicita. Awesome. Thank you. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. 
on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, any show, show suggestions, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, not necessarily Andrew Keegan, but Jeremy Sisto, <laughs> feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And <laughs> what? Rufus Sewell. <laughs> yes, I have a long list of people. And then uh, next week or next weekend on our live stream, we're going to be talking about the Oscars. So that'll be me, Aaron A., and Angela talking about our predictions and all that stuff. And then also remember on March 26th, we're doing our marathon live stream, uh, 10 hours of this. I still don't understand why I'm putting myself 12 hours, not 10 hours, there are 12 hours. I still don't understand why I'm putting myself through this, but I'm hoping we can raise some money for some great organizations. We have great people lined up. Of course, we're going to have the boobs on. <laughs> we're going to have sort of brilliant on. <laughs> we're going to have sudden but inevitable green shirt podcast. Uh, Jen will definitely be on. I don't know if her, she will be on just, she's going to try to be on to, to promote her podcast. And then she's going to be on along with Susie and Aaron A. As we talk about Finn Whitrock's, yes, it's just his, Finn Whitrock's erotic thriller, Dark Water, or Deep Water. What is it? Is it Deep Water? It's Dark Water. Now I can't remember the name of it, damn it. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll be talking about that and talking about when he inevitably is murdered but we'll be talking about the erotic thriller of it all so that'll be fun too and then we'll be recording an episode not sure which one yet and then we will also be talking about ghost stories we're also going to have nerd alert news on to talk about to promote an upcoming convention so it should be a lot of fun for everybody watching <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. It'll be fun. Remember, next episode, our next up on our next episode. Sorry, we are going to be talking about while you were sleeping. So that should be a ton of fun. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing. Black lives matter and stop Asian hate. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.